Welcome to the Humanity Podcast for March 1st, 2018. I'm Tom Quine. This is a show about evolutionary philosophy, in which we discuss the big questions of philosophy through the lens of evolutionary theory. What is the meaning of life? What is real? What is not? What is justice? What is God? I'm going to try and tackle all the big questions in this podcast series and talk about what the philosophers said about these things in the past and what we can say about them today in the light of scientific advances, especially with respect to evolutionary theory. Now, these are complex topics, but my goal in this podcast is to try and keep things short, clear, and simple enough to be accessible to the average listener. This is episode one, and I think a good topic to start with would be truth. What is true? What is false? What do we mean by truth? How do we use the, tr- the concept of truth in everyday life? And especially I'm trying to answer the question, is your truth just as good as my truth? Spoiler alert, my answer is going to be no. Truth has to do real work in the real world. It has to work for the task that it's being applied to. If it doesn't work, it's false. You can't say something is true unless it works. And truth doesn't work for everything. It works only for the things that it works for. So bear with me for a few minutes and I will try to explain. You know, obviously this topic is very relevant in the era of fake news when the man who was the president of the United States at the time of this recording, Donald Trump, arguably the most powerful man in the world, according to the fact checkers, spreads lies and falsehoods at the rate of about five per day. The dictators and oligarchs around the world are learning from Trump that you can lie openly and apparently not suffer any consequences. The very concept of truth itself is under attack today, and you know what, maybe we need to come to a better understanding of what truth actually is and why it is so important. So today I'm going to talk about the, well, I have a couple of things. I'm going to talk about the most common philosophical theory of truth, which is called the correspondence theory. And then I'm going to talk about the approach that I prefer which is called the pragmatic or scientific approach. Now, the common sense view is that a statement is true if it accurately describes reality. So if I say, for example, the sky is blue, and you look up today and you see that the sky actually is blue, then what I have said corresponds to and accurately describes the real world. It's a match, and therefore it's true. This approach is called correspondence theory. It seems to make sense. But there's a big problem at the center of this approach. Your reality might be different from my reality. Different people can look at the same thing and see something very different, and both could be correct or both both might be wrong. But in the end, what's true for you might not be true for me. There is an ancient Indian parable, which goes back about at least 3,000 years, of the seven blind men and the elephant. Okay, seven blind men come across an elephant, and they try to figure out what it is. One feels the trunk and says, it's like a big snake. Another one feels the leg and says, no, it's like a big tree. Another one feels the tusk and says, it's, it's a big, hard, sharp spear and so on, and so on, and so on. And eventually each accuses the others of deliberately lying, and they come to blows. 
This parable reminds us that people are blind to things that they don't directly experience. Everybody has a different point of view. And this is a problem when you're looking for the truth. And one of the first problems, of course, is that human perception is not reliable. Human senses are limited. Our eyes can deceive us. So are we even capable of having a true and full knowledge and understanding of what reality is? You know, is that an oasis that we see in the desert? Or is it a mirage? Is that stick in the water really bent like that? That's an old example. Well, your senses might be giving you a different reading than mine do. To say something simple like the sky is blue is pretty confusing to some people who are colorblind to blue. In a famous case in February 2015, a picture of a dress went viral on the internet because many people with ordinary normal vision insisted that the color of the dress was golden white, while others insisted that, it, no, no, it's black and blue. And you can look for yourself if you search on the internet for hashtag the dress, all one word. The parable of the seven blind men and the elephant reminds us that we all see things differently and we're blind to what we don't experience directly. We see only a partial reality. We never see the whole of reality. And so the philosophers going back as, at least as far as Plato and the earliest Indian thinkers have argued that there are two realities. There's the thing you see, which is real, but there's a deeper unseeable reality beneath it, which is far more complex than maybe we can ever grasp. So problem number one with the common sense correspondence view of truth is this. How can we ever know the real truth or the full truth of things? Now, philosophers who found the correspondence theory of truth to be inadequate have gone, well, maybe they've gone in a few directions, but let's look at two important directions. One group that had a lot of influence in the past decades concluded that there's no such thing as objective truth. All truths are subjective. What's true for you might not be true for me. It all comes down to your individual point of view. These philosophers are often referred to, and not always accurately, I, I will have to say, as the postmodernists. But okay, let's just call this the postmodernist viewpoint. Now, the postmodernists had many great insights. One important one was that they saw that when people come together in various ways, whether it be geographically or through their occupations or through fields of interest or hobbies or social movements or political movements, whatever, they tend to create a common story that works for them and gives them a group identity that they can get behind. These big stories are sometimes called discourses or narratives. Christianity, for example, is one narrative. It explains the world in a certain way and it helps you to feel good about yourself. Islam is another narrative. Fascism is a narrative nationalism, liberal democracy, socialism, environmentalism, you name it. Now we know that people can get lost in their own little narrative and not see outside of their own little world. Even if a lot of it doesn't make sense, it doesn't matter. Being self-identified as a Christian or a Jew or a Mormon or whatever helps you to understand who you are, how you should behave in the world, who's on your side, who's not, what is right, what is wrong, and so on and so on. Getting behind a given narrative seems to satisfy our primal instincts for tribalism and allows us to somehow believe that we are better than, you know, those other people. 
What some of the postmodernists suggested is that you should maybe look a little deeper into the dominant narrative critically to see the power structure behind it. Who benefits from this narrative? Whose interests does it serve in the end? Right now in the United States, we can see the value of the postmodernist viewpoint and analysis. Donald Trump, the Republican Party, and the millions of voters who are behind them seem to live in a different reality than the Democratic Party and the New York Times. Trump and his base promote obvious falsehoods. They claim to have alternative facts, and they denounce anything they disagree with as fake news. They have created a narrative. The purpose of the narrative is not to accurately describe reality. In fact, a few years ago, a Republican in the Bush administration denounced what he called the, quote, reality-based community, end of quote, and celebrated what he considered one of the great strengths of the Republican Party, quote, we create our own reality, end of quote. The purpose of the Trump narrative is to reinforce tribal bonds of race, religion, and nation among Trump supporters and to create an alternative reality in which Trump is actually making America great again. And of course, let's be clear, the Democrats also have a narrative. And while it's all good to look critically at the power structure behind any narrative, some postmodernists went one step further and said, you know what, there's no such thing as truth, per se. It's all narrative. It's all just a power struggle over who controls the narrative. And this is why some people are calling Donald Trump the first postmodernist president. Now, it's doubtful that he knows what postmodernism is, but he is for sure a living example of it. So, postmodernism is a powerful analysis, but a major critique of it is that it can often fall into what is known as truth relativism. Truth relativism is the idea that what is true is relative to the context and circumstances, and especially to the culture where it's being used. What's true in one place is not necessarily true in another. What's true today might not be true tomorrow. What's true for me might not be true for you, and so on. And so, maybe all the grand narratives are false. It's all just a naked struggle for, for power, and the concept of truth itself might just be completely meaningless. Well, the problem with truth relativism is that in the real world, truth actually does matter, because you have to get stuff done, and to do that, you need truth. And it matters because false narratives eventually collapse, and of course, better narratives emerge, which are closer to getting the work done. And we'll see that soon enough with the Trump narrative. Or should I say, will never be soon enough. Which brings us to a different way to look at truth, which I think makes a lot more sense, the pragmatic approach. So instead of saying truth must be an accurate description of reality, because forget it, you're never going to get there, pragmatism says truth only needs to be close enough for us to get the job done that we need to get done. Truth does not need to be perfect or absolute. Truth only needs to do the work for the job that we apply to it. So let me let me unpack that because this approach is, is seems on the surface to be very simple, but it's actually quite subtle. It's very important to understand that for pragmatism, truth does not exist outside of getting something done. It's practical. Truth is a tool in our toolbox that we can use to fix a problem. And so truth is not just relative to the circumstances, it is directly relative. In fact, it is inseparable from the problem or objective that it seeks to solve. 
Therefore, when we assess a truth claim, we must always ask, true with respect to what objective? So, for example, some of Trump's supporters are saying that it's true that torture is effective. In the pragmatic approach, we have to ask, well, effective for what? To what end? Because, yes, torture is effective at extracting confessions. However, it has been shown again and again that people under torture will lie and confess to anything just to end the torture. And so we have to ask ourselves, is torture an effective method for solving crimes? Is torture effective at, let's say, enhancing America's image abroad? Is torture effective in supporting respect for the rule of law? Uh, Does the fear of torture actually deter criminals from committing crimes? Or is it maybe true that the only value of torture is that it gives some people a feeling of a taste of revenge? You know, and let's say many Christians, many Christians will tell you that prayer is effective for calling upon God to intervene in the real world. Now, scientific studies, controlled studies, have shown, however, that prayer sessions with fervent believers have no effect whatsoever on the target of their prayers. However, prayer does help the true believer feel that they have maybe some small influence over circumstances over which they actually have no control whatsoever. It helps them feel that at least they did something in circumstances in which it's impossible for them to do anything. Sometimes, as the Christians say, all you can do is pray. And so it seems that it's untrue to claim that prayer can change external events, but it's quite true to say that prayer can help some people feel like they have some control over the uncontrollable. And that's why a lot of people believe in the power of prayer. And many Muslims and Jews don't expect divine intervention to come from prayer. Rather, they feel strengthened by the experience of ritual praying as part of a community of believers. It's a tribal thing. People don't engage in activities unless these activities solve some sort of problem or address some sort of need or goal that they have. And it's not always the goal that they say it is or that they think it is. But there will be a goal there. Pragmatism starts from the assumption that we are creatures born on this earth, we're shaped by evolution to make our way, to survive, to reproduce, to avoid suffering, and in general to get things done that allow us as individuals and as a species to flourish. We are goal-oriented by nature. Evolution just made us that way. In the pragmatic approach, you cannot assess the validity of a truth claim unless you clearly identify the goal or objective that the truth claim seeks to address. The truth of the power of prayer or of the effectiveness of torture depends upon the goal or the objective achieved. The pragmatic approach to truth, which is really the same as the scientific approach to truth, in this approach you don't waste a lot of time looking for absolute truth. Instead, You look for what works to solve a problem that you think needs to be solved. First of all, you come up with an idea for a solution, a proposal, or in the terminology, a hypothesis. You don't know yet whether your hypothesis is valid or your proposed solution is going to work, but you have reasons to think that it might. And so you test it out experimentally, and eventually you test it under real-world conditions, and if it works to solve the problem, bravo, you have discovered an important truth. 
And we use this scientific method every day in life for the most simple tasks. You know, I wake up in the morning and at some point I want to have a cup of coffee. In order to make my way to the kitchen, I make several assumptions which are truth propositions about reality. And for example, here's one assumption I'll make. Proposition one, this floor will support me as I walk to the kitchen. Now, this seems to be rock solid truth, but it, you know, it's just a hypothesis. If it's a hypothesis that has a high degree of probability because the floor has always supported me in the past, but of course I cannot be certain about it. You know, because for reasons unknown to me, the floor might suddenly give way beneath my feet. There might, I don't know, a strong earthquake that collapses my building. Uh, there might be an airplane crash into the side of the building. You never know. It has happened to others. But nevertheless, I take it on faith that my proposition about the floor is valid because the probability that it is not seems very low, so I go get my coffee. But the only time that I can call my proposition true, absolutely true, is in the act of walking across the floor to the kitchen. Truth is validated in the act. Until then, it's just a hypothesis with a greater or lesser probability of being valid. Now here's another example of a truth claim that is only a hypothesis, only a proposition. My proposition is that the sun will rise tomorrow morning. Well, now there are a few things in this world with a higher degree of probability than the proposition that the sun will rise tomorrow morning. But we know, of course, that this is not absolutely true. It is possible that an asteroid will strike the Earth overnight and knock the planet off its orbit and the sun won't rise. The truth of this proposition can only be validated in the actual event of sunrise on that day. Before then, it's just a very probable outcome. Truth is highly probabilistic. Okay, I've spoken enough. Now, I, let me summarize. Point one, truth is a proposition about reality. Two, there's no such thing as absolute truth. There are only propositions with a greater or lesser degree of probability. Three, truth is a tool that we use to help us get through our day, to achieve goals, and to accomplish the things that we need to accomplish. Four, truth always has a goal or objective. Five, truth cannot be separated from the goal or objective that it serves. Six, a truth claim can only be validated in the act of achieving its objective. Finally, to answer the question, is your truth just as good as my truth? The acid te test for a truth claim is whether it achieves its objective. If it doesn't work, it's false. And this is why a narrative like Trump's, which is full of lies, falsehoods, and wishful thinking, will fail. The test will be, did the Trump narrative meet its stated objective of making America great again? Uh, at the time of this recording, the probability for this claim looks pretty slim. And this speaks to a larger point. People will come up with all kinds of hypothetical solutions to the social and political problems that they face. Why should we feel optimistic about the future? Because by definition, truth works and falsehood does not. Truth will out. Okay, that's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you would like to see a transcript of this podcast with links to the research, 
please visit me at www.humanity.ca. That's it for now. Bye.